are listening to Dwarfcasts, brought to you by Ganymede and Titan. Hello, and welcome to a special edition of Dwarfcast. Uh, special as in it exists. <laughs> yes. Uh, our DVD review feature of 101 Greatest Golf Moments. <laughs> Oh, sorry, that's that's the one that John's doing at the moment. On his uh, own. Yeah. <laughs> Wanky. <laughs> and crying. No, uh, this, this is actually a um, a handy replacement to a written review of the Back to Earth DVD. Because somebody couldn't be asked doing it. Due to a combination of uh, various members of G&T being in terms busy at work, wanting to work on other things, lazy or unequivocally hating Red Dwarf now, so we've not got around to write, doing a proper review, so this is the best you're going to get. Well, I, I wrote a review. Yeah, but for a shit website. Well, was it the top ten paragraphs about Red Dwarf? <laughs> yes. uh, right. Anyway, I'm Ian Symes. I'm Jonathan Caps. And I'm Seth Patrick. Yep. And that's all you're getting. <laughs> so, back to Earth, the director's cut. Uh, and we might as well talk about the director's cut first, since it's the... Uh... It's the feature. Yeah. yeah. It um, is the feature. The broadcast versions have been relegated to secondary status, on it? Yeah. Um, just uh, above features, bonus features. And what, what do we think in terms of uh, whether it's an improvement on... Uh, I think day? it's an improvement. I don't think I've seen it enough times in comparison. And if this was 2003, I'd have already have done a spreadsheet <laughs> detailing the exact differences. Yeah. But it, it does flow a lot better, and it seems to suit being a sort of slightly shorter movie. Yeah, I think the advantages of it basically come down to not having the breaks in there and not having, you know, obviously not not having it as three separate episodes. I don't actually think that any of the the little changes made here and there in editing, um, additions and subtractions really amounted to much. The one thing that could have been uh, fixed properly in it was going in and out of ad breaks and ends of mm. episodes, but in it just they're just the same as they are on telly. They just fade to it's black and a, fade up again yeah, yeah. because there was one of those in the episode as broadcast that wasn't an ad break cut mm. and it's when it cuts to them getting the bus and there's 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 the the fade in and out then and then that same technique is used in the director's cut for the the bit at the, at the end of the DVD yeah, yeah. store and I don't think either of them really work yeah there's when uh, uh, Cap slinks out of the um, of the sleeping quarters, that is, you know, as it was on the broadcast version when it went into the the ad. Which we all this time we didn't mistake. have Mitch and Ware yeah. <laughs> in chicken suits. Um, speaking of that scene, there were a few trims here and there in in that, but I didn't really notice them. Uh, it is it is the sort of thing I think we need to sit down and catalogue. It's just it. Um, I think I think that's what it is. Is the main difference with this DVD is this is a DVD of a of a very very recent production, mm-hmm. and therefore we. I watch it, and you know we we experience it in a really different way to the other dwarf DVDs. We we can already spot if we you know if we watch a broadcast version that's had stuff trimmed out of it. Yeah, it's, you it know of, of, of series one to six, we can spot stuff. It's I do that with the Simpsons as well. You know, and you, particularly like if you if you download Simpsons episodes online, they're syndicated they're, they're syndicated versions usually, and you can instantly see what's being cut out. Yeah, and it's yeah. it's the same. That's right for being a pirate. Well, <laughs> quite. But, uh, I think the DVD as a whole is very different to any other Red Dwarf DVD and all the features on it are uh, cataloguing things that have only recently happened. Mm. And so it's a different approach when 
with series one to eight, the brilliant documentaries on there are all with hindsight, mm. and can as such can be very very candid. Not that these aren't, but it's it's just a different perspective you get. And I'm looking forward to the tenth anniversary, uh, <laughs> ultra mm. Blu-ray edition. Yeah, the, the, yeah, that has more of a retrospective look. You you wonder one... if there's stuff from the production that could be talked about in a few years' time that yeah. wouldn't be talked about now. Yeah, um, sure. Considering yeah. from all the evidence we've seen there trying hard to make New Dwarf on Dave. Mm. There's also the fact that this DVD is kind of aimed at a slightly different market to all of the others anyway mm. because it's got a lot more potential for mainstream success like you know, rather than, well, say over the Body Snatcher collection, yeah. <laughs> you know, which which was for a very specific set of fans. This is for potentially, you know, as many as as possible because it's, you know, it's a brand new thing still, even if it is an old property, you know. So they've That's, got to present everything in a kind of more of a, a broader way. Yeah. And I think that, that shows through in some of the bit. But that's not to say that the features are any less well thought out and well crafted than on the main DVDs. Well, no, absolutely. It's just a different style. It's a different mm. way of watching them. It's strange watching a dwarf documentary and indeed a set of features in general that doesn't have the little sting at the beginning of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, the deleted scenes are really plainly presented on Back to Earth mm. well I suppose because you've got commentary on them because we've never had that before yeah. so the little comments that there would have been at the introduction to each deleted scene on the older DVDs are replaced by Doug's commentary the problem with that is the first time you watch them it's like, I always find this problem because it happens a lot with deleted scenes on DVDs they often have commentary on them and it's like the first time you watch them do you want to watch them without the commentary and thus devoid of any context of yeah. what they are or why they've been <laughs> cut or do you watch them the first time with the commentary so you know what you're getting but not being able to hear the dialogue yeah. that's being cut also so. a minor problem with the way they've presented it is that Doug talks over the end of the deleted scenes for about 20 seconds yeah. so you get 20 seconds of black on the end of deleted. yeah if you're watching it without the commentary yeah. you're stuck with that um, I mean the the deleted scenes as a selection obviously compared with previous releases are <laughs> fairly paltry uh, in in quantity if not in quality I mean in in quality there's there's decent stuff in there I mean yeah. the, I think pretty much everyone seems to agree about the Jamie Dodgers scene yeah. in that it, it should have been in the, the episode and it probably should have at least yeah. gone in the director's cut well exactly yeah that's something that you know there's nothing substantially different about the director's cut that mm. really makes it you know sort of stand out and I think having that scene in there you know obviously it was kept out for, for whatever reason and it, there would have been a reason but but the pacing of the director's like, cut yeah, is different yeah, than exactly. the broadcast anyway yeah. and um, I mean, he, Doug talks in the documentary about why that scene was relevant and why that scene was relevant to what he does with Lister's character, yeah. where Lister is at the start of the episode and where he is and at the end of the story. Sense and would have, yeah, yeah. And, and it's funny. Yeah. And, you know, still, it, it could still be said now, looking back at Back to Earth, that while, while I think the three of us all liked it and while it definitely had a fair number of pretty funny moments it could have done with more and to lose yeah, stuff yeah. that definitely made you laugh is a shame. I think, I think it's hugely encouraging when you see like the bits of the documentary and like hints that there was ba- barely any um, rehearsals or any, mm. any sort of normal process that should go behind you know making a TV show. What they came out with considering the circumstances is, is incredible and it just it just makes me very excited for when <laughs> Red Dwarf has been remade has been made again properly. You know, yeah, at some point in is, the future, with the benefit of rehearsals, <laughs> yeah, been quite handy. Uh, and going back to the deleted scenes, is that again a lot of people like there's there's the odd online review and a lot of 
you know, comments here and there that people sort of didn't quite enjoy this DVD as much as the others. And I think when you're looking at deleted scenes of something that was made a few months ago, it is obviously very different to, you know, when you know mm. one to six, or one to eight, <laughs> so, so well. Like, deleted scenes have this extra sort of just amazing quality to them. They, they don't just, really feel like something where you'd be, oh, that should have slotted in there, or... Yeah, it's going to be exactly, because you're yeah. already so used to the episodes as they are. It's just whereas... the fascination of seeing new material from mm. 1993 era Chris Berry. Yeah, it's uh, not as is well. It's far more special than seeing 2009 yeah. Chris Berry because that's what Chris Berry is. It's mm. just an unavoidable, yeah, an unavoidable part of the DVD, and it's just you know for any future DVDs, it's it's you know the style it's gonna it's gonna be in. But by no means is this DVD lacking in any. Mm. I just, significant way. I, I just think the you know the length of the deleted scenes feature or, or brevity of the deleted scenes feature yeah. it just emphasises really to me the the tightness of the entire production and it, and in a sense it's kind of it does it, it adds to the sense of it being quite a credit to the to the production because everything was tight time was tight money was tight and you know the fact that there are so few deleted scenes, I mean, you know, pe- people can criticise probably some of the stuff that, that stayed in Back to Earth, and it's been, <laughs> yeah. well, it's like, Constantly. there's so little material that they did have to kind of use pretty much yeah. everything they had. And I think, like, with the exception of the Jammy Dodger scene, there is actually <laughs> a fairly sharp kind of drop-off in quality with, with quite a few of the deleted scenes. Like, you can see why the majority mm. of them were cut. And, like, the fact that the line was... The, so thin between mm. stuff that made the episode and stuff that didn't. It's quite impressive that you know what was in the episode was, you know, was fairly you know strong and not a lot of it was you know you would say should should have been removed for mm. whatever, for quality reasons. Actually, you know, well, the the other one, I mean, I, I can't actually remember if because it was long ago that I watched it with the commentaries. If, if Doug mentions this, I think the the Rimmer and Katarina deleted bit when you just watch that raw, that feels like it was an alternative. For the the water, yeah, leak explanation, but it seems like that was actually intended to be another one because I mean you know it's the repetition of the the it was, it a, was Thursday a Thursday joke and so on and it's a nice way to get woken up and you actually kind of think if those had both been in the episode together I could see what he was doing with it but I actually think it was wise to cut that one. Mm. Um, it, was, it was possibly originally shot with the intention of well, well we've got this quite clever setup with the corridors let's do one long scene with them walking down you know lots of different corridors but obviously use the same one they will probably try and try and that out see how how a continuous scene would cut from the same corridor to the same corridor um, but obviously yeah in the end you know material wise it was best just to keep in you know the start of that or the end of it whichever way around it was I think another aspect of the DVD that shows how tight the production was is the smeg ups and the way that it the reaction to the smegups, obviously it's going to be different without the studio audience to play off, but mm. there's times when they get really pissed off. That's the thing, it yeah. makes them with a different themselves experience. And yeah. with each other, the, the, star, the car bug cockpit scene is so tense mm. to watch <laughs> and so painful at As times. you can see, they all just really don't want to something. They're all like, oh, yeah. I think yeah. the Sophie Winkleman smegups are... I find them really, really difficult to watch <laughs> because as I'm watching them, I can just see... I, if I was working with Sophie Winkleman, who said exactly the same things every single time, you know, she fucked up a line, I, I would get really annoyed. I think if I was working with Sophie Winkleman, I'd be prepared to overlook it. <laughs> the very first one is really funny. She yeah. just says, 
oh, I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> and then she says the exact same thing. <laughs> Eight times in a row. I'm sorry, sorry. everything's fine, everything's fine. No, everything isn't fine. That's sort of the point. (laughs) No, don't worry, it's it's going to be fine. Yeah, you've got the authority to (laughs) tell everyone that it's going to be fine. Well, actually, manhandles Chris Berry as well. Yeah. Despite Chris Berry being by far the older and more experienced person. Yeah. But there's 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 some lovely bits of slapstick in the smeg ups. Yeah, Danny so. falling <laughs> through the door. And Craig trying to throw the <laughs> yeah. tentacle. And it's the way hands. when he falls over. There's just this. Everyone around's just kind of like ah. Oh, <laughs> he does all his own stunts. <laughs> My favourite moment of this entire DVD comes in the making of part two. Uh, Danny's explained to camera how he took the piss and then <laughs> fucked up his line and Chris turns up behind him and goes <laughs> yeah <laughs> that is excellent which it's brings us f- on to the making of part 2 which yeah. is thematically it's different from the broadcast one in that it talks about the story more and the mm. intricacies but in terms of production value it's equally as good as the broadcast version Yeah, yeah. it's really really good uh, I think it also features my favourite moment of the DVD, which is when Doug very pointedly says that League of Gentlemen's Apocalypse isn't the only metafictional story ever. Thank you very much. Yes. Which was what made us realise that um, that SFX review in the bloke hadn't actually watched the extras. Yeah. Not only did he just <laughs> list the extras rather than talking about them, he, he also made the League of Gentlemen reference. Yeah. Which if he'd watched Doug on the making of, he wouldn't have. Looks so fucking stupid. And of course, you know, if you'd uh, if if you'd read Ganymede and Titan, which is one one of the Red Dwarf forums, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah, we're still smug about that. Yeah, we're still um, smug about everything, really. <laughs> the making of really benefits from having so many people involved talking about it. Virtually the entire crew is involved. There's about thirty mm. people listed in the credits, which is the advantage of shooting it as you go rather yeah. than getting people in front of a green screen yeah. 15 years later it's dodgy interesting... memories <laughs> well it's the mixture actually because you notice that pretty much everyone um, is being interviewed during the production with the exception of Doug mm. Doug is clearly talking about it after broadcast because Doug makes reference to the whole Kachansky thing and you know mm. the reaction to that and, and the, you know he knew that they'd ended up keeping it secret and he talks about the premiere and stuff and that's quite interesting it's like I'd almost quite like to see a lot more footage of Doug sitting there after the after fact the event, and, yeah. if he wasn't talking about it I think yeah. that's the thing with um, pretty much all of the, the old DVD documentaries is that I get the impression that the Doug interview was always filmed last after he'd mm. seen some well, pertinent else bits, bits yeah. of wishes in here and then he can drop in all the missing bits it's of information it's a good production technique of having one central voice to structure mm. everything else around and the story is told by Doug and everyone else backs up what he says yeah. Mm. or yeah or Doug contradicts what they say yeah. you know in a, in a comedy fashion although in this Norman. instance the story is told by uh Noted documentarian Andrew Allen. <laughs> <laughs> is that the word? It is now. No, it's. It, I think it works. I mean, it certainly worked for the. It was very useful for the TV version. Yeah. Um, because you know it was compressing a lot more in it. It kind of it had to have a, a different pace. And then if you did it for the one, you can't. Even though the second half is aimed more at the kind of people who would have watched the series one to eight documentaries. Mm. Yeah. It still needs to have that consistency, and and it it still works quite because again because it was being a more. Um, more of an on the fly thing. Yeah, you know. I'm not so, sure if we, if it would be in the same um, same format for any future series. I know I keep saying <laughs> saying this, but you know you've got mm. to look ahead. I think that because there will probably never be another TV 
Uh, you know, actually, there might be. There might be a TV making of, and therefore, you know, that style would yeah. be needed. But if there wasn't, then I think they might go back to a more tra- I, I traditional DVD style. I would think if we got, and again, you know, doing the same as you speculating, but I would think if we were to get another series series, I would be very surprised if the immediate DVD release was quite the same in terms of yeah. behind-the-scenes stuff. I think we'd get it eventually, but I don't think we'd get it straight away. No, no. It'd, it'd be an be interesting... A, uh, the thing is, is that everything really. about this production was exceptional in some way mm. and everything was done you know not by the books and that's including the really really quick yeah. DVD release and I think <laughs> but if, if Red it, Dwarf starts again everything would be a lot more as a yeah. as a, a proper TV show but go through all the proper paces mm. and the proper schedules one of the reasons why we've got so much uh, behind the scenes material on this is because it was budgeted uh, probably not very much considering the rest of the budget but because there was a broadcast making of happening, yeah. the budget was in place to get the access and to get the cameras there all the time and to have Ellard as part of his job description as director of the making of. And that's how they got so much primary material because mm. in future, if there's not a broadcast making of, they won't necessarily have the time or the budget to have a camera there all the time. That's a good point. And, I mean, I think the even the initial reason in the first place for there being a, a documenting of what was going on is that when, when you think that this was originally intended as a celebration of Dwarf, I mm. mean, you know, obviously we think back to it, it was going to be the clip show with the interlinking material, and, you know, there always had to be something else, and, it, they were, you know, you suspected there'd be behind-the-scenes stuff because there was there was going to be general discussion of the making of the show and the sure. background of the show and the history of the show, yeah. so... Sure, the, the, yeah, the making of was more a service to the event of the exactly. was coming yeah. back. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, and it, and it wouldn't be like that in the and future. It'd be more to, just normal. Also, to pad out the weekend for not very much money because it was originally yeah. going to be, you know, well, it is still a quarter of what we got, but it was supposed to be like two episodes, one making of, one other thing. Mm. Yeah, um, Red Dwarf unplugged. <laughs> Do you remember that? <laughs> Do you remember? <laughs> uh, another bit about having a lad as the voiceover is that it gives him. It means that we hear him sort of during the interviews at some stages as well, most notably when Jeremy Swift decides to take <laughs> something he says incredibly literally and yeah. be a bit of a dick about it. Oh, he's so funny, We've Jeremy. never seen him do that yeah. before. I've told you this before, haven't I? <laughs> yeah. He's credit to the North East. Yeah, Just well, like, absolutely. absolutely. He's a credit to Mark Benton, <laughs> low rent replacements <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> But he is really, really funny in the episode. Right? Yeah, you can't I can't fault him within the episode. I think the making of spent a bit too much time talking about how great he was. I mean, <laughs> yeah. he was funny in this short scene or whatever, but they were kind of acting like he completely stole the show and it was this really memorable thing that everyone would be talking about for ages to come. And It's given me the making of... Um, it's made me uh, have a lot of respect, not that I disrespected him, but it's made me realise what a contribution uh, the bloke who played Mike Mellington had. He's, he comes across as really good, really funny bloke. Yeah, yeah the, the little sequence where they were having to basically just improvise, yeah. just to give them filler material to use. And admittedly, he uses the word version a bit too often. It's like yeah, it repeats the gag, same joke a few times. I think that was all designed to never be used. Uh, they, they would just you know yeah, come up with variations. Yeah, and, and, and yeah, so it was more like you know more like riffing that you know bits would be used from, mm. which is you know what happened. I think he did really well with that. But I thought no, it was also, he was giving, well. like, he'd come up with that joke and 
So their choices in editing was giving a few different versions yeah. of it. So. Quite a quite a pro. It's a version um, of. That. <laughs> <laughs> he's um, he's definitely a, he feels like he's a you know proper red dwarf fan as well. Yeah. You know, mentions that they haven't aged since series eight and all that. I don't know if you know. That was John Glover who said they haven't aged since series eight. Was it? It was. Yeah. yeah. Oh, there's a bit of a voiceover mix yeah. up in my mind then. Yeah. But no, he's good despite the fact he does comedy on BBC Three. You know, <laughs> he's good. Um, in that sort of part of the documentary when they're talking about the uh, Price Smashers stuff, there's a lot of uh, lot of interview segments with the editor who seemed like a, a fantastic man. He seemed quite tired. <laughs> he seemed very tired. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, especially talking about you know the logistics behind you know getting the show. The Price Smashers. Um, you know, in all the TVs, and then there's Mike Seymour, who's fantastic throughout, but yeah. <laughs> has pre-scripted everything he says yeah. quite clearly. <laughs> his even even his things like, you might say, "How do we do this?" Well, <laughs> <laughs> I just happen to have an answer for that. But he's yeah, he's he's very much an ins- an instructor. Is a university yeah. lecturer? Yeah, yeah. Well, he has his own yeah tutoring company <laughs> and, nice. and it's uh, it, what it you know the, what it gives you is just an incredibly well explained you know segments about what he did you know and, and the extent and the amount of work that you know went into certain things and there's obviously uh, more about this in, in his feature but. yeah I, I can't believe in, in that feature of his I can't believe exactly how much went into doing that London shot mm. I mean the London shot is one of the best bits of the episode but on the other hand well it's like if it was Doctor Who like the mill would have just gone and bashed something out from scratch, yeah, and like, and a lot of productions would probably would have... have just taken a still image and moved the the shot slightly, you know, kind of zoomed in or out on it slightly to make it look like yeah. it had motion. But the amount of trouble that they went to to actually have an animated shot there, all the stuff about being on the London Eye and having to get the photo yeah. at exactly the right <laughs> moment, and all of that. It was I crazy. think the, yeah, the difference between um, FX PH, uh, PhD and um, Oh, sorry, SFX PhD, and uh, the mill is that the mill probably have a massive library of <laughs> shit that they can just use to do stuff like that. But obviously, they had no raw elements, and they had to yeah. collect absolutely. Everything. I think the other difference is probably a Money. few thousand <laughs> quid. Yeah. Uh, yeah, probably more. Although that might be being very unfair to. Uh, to Mike's company, it might just be that you know they obviously couldn't afford to spend much money. Yeah. on oh, no, something no, I mean, I'm Dave got the money, but yeah, yeah, Dwarf didn't. Yeah, no, I mean it's you know it's it's astonishing what as we've said throughout this whole process, what's been done for the amount of money that Dave and GMP had to spend. Well, is, yeah, you could never uh, underestimate. It's it's the, also a slightly worrying thing though because you know from various anecdotes on DVD or like even Andrew on G&T is that a lot of people worked for quarter price or no price or mm-hmm. you know and and that's what got back to earth made but, yeah you know, but it wouldn't happen again <laughs> it wouldn't happen again so you know yeah. also it sets a dangerous precedent uh, as I found out in my work which is similar is that if you do something on the cheap and produce something really good then people people who give you money just say well if you did that for 10 quid why should we give you a million quid (laughs) we'll see but I would think I mean again not to needlessly speculate about the future but I think if they were to do a full series or anything like that it it would be quite different I think they knew that with this this was a big deal it was an unconventional story having to do unconventional things and I think if you know any any hypothetical series 9 or 10 or whatever you want to call it well 
<laughs> uh, we'd re they'd reuse that set, I think, the bunk room mm, set, yeah. assuming it hasn't been completely just you know, the constituent oh. parts haven't been completely destroyed. And I think you would see it predominantly set on the ship and it would be heavily dialogue based and, and that kind of thing. You know, maybe yeah, it's wishful thinking to want a series two style setup. Mm. But you know, it's just, just but you know, for practical reasons you'd think, you know, Oh, That's sure, yeah, 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 sure. I mean, you've got to look at where they would save the most money um, mm. if they were doing a full series, and you know, but back to Earth kind of needed of the, the money shots, and it needed it needed yeah. to feel big because it needed to feel special. But Red Dwarf doesn't have to rely on stuff like that. Wonderful as it was, stuff like that shot of London. Um, Don't need that every week. Exactly, you know, it wouldn't fit every week. This is very, very different. You can keep those um, cargo bay shots though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is a very different, you know feel this you know the, this whole whole production it was it was you know a big step away from red dwarf's normal sort of style but it was still ostensibly red dwarf that's why it, you know it succeeded for me or one of the big reasons but yeah it, in the future it would it would need to be 100% red dwarf again so should we uh, should we move on to the featurettes then featurettes yes featurettes. which we've handily put on a menu on our screen yeah, so, so that we can see them in lieu of what they all are proper notes you know yes We'll just cheat. So, well, we're talking about Mike Seymour. Yeah, I've done him. Cast signing session is very good. It's just it's the pissing about, yeah. pissing about in a room. Yeah, with Chris Barry doing everyone's voices as usual. Yeah, it was an actual idea just to yeah quickly get the cameras out. Just to there's not much more to say about that really, is there? It's just no. And the the premiere footage is it's not as good as ours. Yeah, it's pretty much. Is it? Is there anything that we hadn't that hadn't already been online from that? I can't remember. Bits. Bits of you do. Uh, little bits of Sorry, Ian's just being attacked by a fly. <laughs> there wasn't a Doug Halo uh, interview. There was, online. Yeah. That's when he said uh, a couple of days before the oh, thing was yeah. shown about uh, there's not going to be a series 9, but there might be a series 10. Yeah. Which is a joke that went too far. Well, there wasn't as big a Doug Halo uh, interview as Gavin Meaden Tank had. I like the bit at the end of Doug's. Uh, Director's Cup Coventry, where there's the typewriter that says the end, and he says that is not significant. <laughs> Nobody talk about that, please. That is not significant. And speaking of the Dugnale Coventry, uh, we also get the full story in there about Norman Lovett. Yes, oh, and yeah. it turns out he's a lying shit. Yeah, I mean, to be, oh, right. assuming that you can believe what Doug says, and that's something that I'm perfectly happy to assume. Yeah. Yeah, that just hopefully puts that whole matter to bed. Unfortunately, there will be crap loads of people who still will write things people on forums think, and yeah, things. People who um, think they're a good acquaintance of Norman Lovett who want to defend him. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, they, they, there will be people who won't have heard that and who will still go, who will still take what Norman said online as the truth. But, you know, and I can understand, if you actually read the wording of what Norman said, they do still sort of sound like two sides of the same coin. Mm. You know, it's yeah. his perspective on him feeling snubbed, whereas Doug is, well, he put us in this position, so we had to snub him. Yeah. Um, but even so, it just it the, doesn't the make you want Norman out. to be involved with Red Dwarf in any way again. It's just, I think the, what Norman did was just not understand the practicalities of... Mm. You know, TV production. I mean, what we don't know is why he was so insistent that he had to know straight away. You know, mm. everyone else was a stubbornness, you know, just plain stubbornness. But how how much does no no disrespect to I mean, well, we disrespect Norman all the time, but no disrespect <laughs> to Norman. But how much does he work compared to Craig and Chris? Craig in particular, 
who has a schedule yeah. on you know a regularly filming show that's the biggest TV program well, in the UK. He he has time to uh, to film his little home videos ripping off um, Kirby Enthusiasm. So <laughs> I don't think he's got got much going on. And then those webcam videos where he just said everything's shit. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, but you know the point is everyone else had to work. You know, fit had to keep their schedule open. But okay, all right. So I, I suppose Craig was always going to be in it no matter what happened. But. Mm. You know, you've, for something like this, you've got to have a bit of a leeway, especially given that it was, you know, Norm, Norman could never have expected, none of them could actually could ever have expected that they'd get this job again. Yeah. You know, this this sort of seemed to come out of the blue and as an opportunity for them to do it If again. you've got as much love for the show as the four main cast members have, then you're prepared mm. to make sacrifices and it'd be a bit awkward at times and all the rest of it, but... Mm. Evidently, Norman doesn't care all that much about the show. He just seems to care about getting paid. Mm. Yeah. And well, therefore was a dick. What's interesting is that the circumstances where he, you know, whereby he didn't get to be in Back to Earth are very similar to when he left in Series 2. Mm-hmm. And that is, like you said, misunderstanding the practicalities of making a TV show. And making you, ultimatums and demands yeah. that were completely unreasonable. It just makes you feel that for Series 7 and 8, uh, you should have just got Hattie. <laughs> Hattie wouldn't have acted like that. He should have got to get Hattie for everything. Biting the hand that feeds him. So. Slacking yeah. off the hand that feeds him. But you know, we have not we've not heard a word from Hattie about okay, so Hattie doesn't have the same web presence or whatever that that Norman does, but we've not heard a word from her about back to earth or about being in it or not being mm. in it or anything like well, that. Just know she could she justifiably have more of a grievance because at least they wanted to use Norman. Yeah. They didn't say anything about ever using it. They didn't even approach her and then drop her. Well, you know? They might have approached her well, yeah, and she might not have wanted yeah. Yeah, um, I'm sure they considered like, every possibility. Because we, we know as well, of course, that Doug mentions that they, th- they thought about trying to get Matt McDonald in, yeah, yeah. which would have been fantastic. Yeah. Well, mm, might have been fantastic. Yeah. To be honest, okay, Matt McDonald, I do think Matt McDonald is very funny. I yeah, mean, okay, in Series Eight, there was a lot of that's what, but that, yeah, that's what I'm going on. You see, but but then again, in the, but I go by yeah. all the documentaries. I don't so. think yeah. it. I don't think that's relevant. It's whether or not he would have fitted in character-wise. Having didn't Doug say that the plan would possibly to have it like Mac was the only survivor from uh, Captain Hollister was the only survivor from yeah the ship uh, disintegrating, and it was the four main people plus Captain Hollister living together. I think that would have been a good storyline, but not for Back to Earth. Yeah. Mm. I think for Back to Earth it had to be the core. Yeah. So core. for the future, yeah, something similar to that would, would be very interesting, but it would have to be, if it, if it was something that wasn't really working out, it would have to be something that could be quickly dropped. Yeah. Because it could just, you know, if it didn't work, it could, you know, fuck up the entire thing. <laughs> it could be a very bad <laughs> sitcom like yeah. the boss coming to dinner but constantly yeah. <laughs> Rimmer how, how many times would you have Rimmer saying calling Captain Hollister fat and not realising he was standing behind him every week every bloody week uh, ok what else have we got uh, well, we, well we talked a bit about Doug's commentary I mean I think I think Doug's commentary is generally excellent it's just mm. great to actually get his perspective on things as it rolls along maybe devotes a little bit too much time to retelling the Duke of Manchester story even though it's <laughs> nice to finally find out that it was Kate Blanchett <laughs> yeah, yeah, which was the, the detail that was missing beforehand well, Kylie Minogue's funny um, I was going to say and I can do a Kylie Minogue impression so yeah. but um, obviously there's another commentary on there as well the cast commentary really benefits from the cast actually being able to remember 
the production that they're talking about rather than these exaggerated apocryphal stories that are built up over the years. Yeah. And they're funnier as a result. And it's just because they're... They must have recorded... Well, they did record it about a week after... Or yeah. two weeks after they finished shooting, so they were still in production mode. It's all mode. part of the same production. It's, it's something that comes across, sort of... Across the DVD and across the production, because you say it in the, the documentaries and the smeg-ups and stuff as well. I mean, obviously, the cast have kind of... Have all, all been in touch over the years, yeah. and they've done conventions and stuff together. Um, but it's just... It's really nice always seeing the relationship between the four of them. Um, it's it's always one of the things that's made the show work, yeah. you know, kind of even in, in the later years, is the way that they all are together. Um, and I think it's better now than it's ever been all the time that they've been in production. Yeah. Like, you know, obviously 98, 99 was the last time they were all together, and in the intervening 10 years, I think they all get on better, and there's no rivalries anymore. Everyone's really successful. And working for each other. Everyone, yeah. yeah. And... Craig is just a much better actor than he's ever been. Yeah, better person. <laughs> better person than he's ever been, from from what we can tell, and like muting his performance and accommodating for everyone else's performance rather than competing for who's got the best lines and yeah, all the which rest yeah of it. suits the, the drama feel. I mean, there's there's something there's something quite nice about in a sitcom everyone <laughs> clearly competing with each other for the for the woofers. Uh, yeah, but but. Not you know obviously not all the time and obviously not in something like back to her yeah. So so what do we think then? Sort of, I suppose this is the point at which we can start to actually look back at back to Earth now as opposed to <laughs> yeah. Yeah. our immediate reactions. Which, I mean, I don't know about how long's it been? Three months, three months this next week. Yeah, blimey. But I mean, I mean, I haven't. I've not watched it. It's not. Like I've watched it repeatedly. I've seen it a few times since broadcast, and then obviously watched it for the DVD. Uh, I don't think my opinions really changed. I enjoyed it. Um, I think I do think the rewatch value will lessen a bit yeah. as it I'm goes on. I sure think that. that. I think there's certain key scenes that I can watch again and again and again. Mm. Uh, going through the portal and ending up in Price Smashes and the Mike Bennington scene. Yeah. And then the comic book scene and the bus scene and the very end. However, there's bits of it that <laughs> once you've watched them once, yeah. It, and a lot of part one is like that really. The the unship stuff there, it's yeah, it's not great. Skippable. Yeah, and the nose world scene, I still hate mm. for various reasons. It was, yeah, <laughs> but it's generally, I mean, I think from, I mean, from a comedy point of view, it's it's not something I'd go back and rewatch that often if if I want to if I want to laugh, you know. It's, mm. I mean, there, there are funny bits, and while you're watching it, there are enjoyable bits. But I, as we said at the time, and what I think is the case now as well, is it's. Um, it's about the the story and the world, and just, I think almost everything that it does for Red Dwarf as a concept and as the character and the, to do with yeah. the characters is spot on. I think um, that's I think that is the very core of what is good about Back to Earth. I mean, like you say, you don't what there's not particularly something that you watch to get a really you know good series of hearty laughs. But whenever I've watched it again, I've my, my opinion of it has like improved a little bit every time because I always just feel really happy watching it and and watching it all you know unfold and you know just spotting all the little bits and bobs again all the little references here and there they just just I don't know it's, it's a really pleasant thing to watch especially with the the progression of Lister through it and that's, that's also yeah. the ultimate shame of why that Jamie Dodger scene isn't in it aside from the fact that it's funny is that that's a stepping point along the way yeah. and it's a crucial part but just that scene the, the bit on the, I mean the bit on the bus 
is a little iffy in terms of the way the scene is played, but it's relevant to what you then get at the end. Yeah. And that list the moment at the end, I think again, some, certainly the three of us all agree on, uh, I know me and Ian especially, it's just one of, it would just always be now be one of the defining Red Dwarf moments. It is a great um, scene. I mean, Chloe and Eck could have been better in it, um, but that I find it that that's not um, really all that important. I, I do like the justification that her performance is supposed to be a bit robotic and a bit off. <laughs> and a bit oh, that's convenient. <laughs> I don't think she should have smiled in it. But um, actually, something that's just come to mind talking about you know Craig Charles's acting in the documentary, they sort of show a clip of an unfinished scene, which is basically his reaction when once he sits back and just looks at a populated earth, you know, mm. something you never thought he'd see. And that's like, that feels like a really sort of booky moment. I think that's probably the one thing in general that's missing from Back to Earth. I suppose because they discover so quickly yeah. that they're fictional. That's the thing. Um, that we don't, it all. Yeah, we don't really get the chance to see Lister reacting to being back on Earth, to see Crichton and Cat reacting to being... Yeah. on Earth and among more humans for the first I, time. I think the biggest thing that we need more of in the episode was that was probably about half an hour of acclimatisation for them all mm. so we can get a really strong idea of how they all feel being in this new situation, coming to terms with the fact that they're fictional. Because then if we had more of that time, then they could have addressed why each of them are meant to be feeling joy. Yeah. I think that all comes across, and this is my theory that I've been meaning to say on GNT since it aired so this is my opportunity uh, is that it's all there it's just some of it's quite subtle and you have to fill in a few blanks the reason why everyone feels so much joy at Lister it's obvious in that Kachansky is alive and he discovers that and it gives him yeah. something to live for uh, with Rimmer it's getting one up like Katerina was completely yeah. invented by the squid for Rimmer and obviously as a sort of exposition to get them back to Earth, but he gets to get this officer who's completely superior to him in every way and get one over on her. Mm-hmm. Not that I necessarily like the way in which he had one over <laughs> yeah, on her. Still, should, still a bugbear. He shouldn't yeah. have. He, he's not a murderer. But, you know, that's why he's happy, because he's outwitted her in did, some did, way. Did I hear somewhere, I can't remember if this is somewhere on the disc or if it's, if it's elsewhere, that there was originally an alternative... Oh, no, I think maybe Andrew said it in the, the article online... He was going to outwit her in a different way. I know, obviously, we know that Andrew suggested the bus thing, but I think there was there was going to be another way of having Rimmer outwit Katarina mm. without necessarily killing her. Yeah, um, but just didn't have the time in the story to yeah. give it a proper resolution. But I mean, it's it's the same net effect of yeah, of a I victory it, for Rimmer. I think if the hallucination, or you know, the creator within the hallucination is controlling all of their actions, leading mm. them to the end, then. Um, it's kind of explainable. It doesn't mm. doesn't particularly bother me. That that scene doesn't particularly bother me. Anyway, yeah. Uh, Crichton's happy because he gets the guilt of the uh, Kachansky lie off ah, his back. Yeah, yeah. And okay. can confess to Lister and yeah, you know, make Lister realise that even though he's lied to him, that he was doing it for the best intentions, as Crichton mm. always does. The cat, uh, it falls down I... a little bit, but you can. <laughs> there's two things that you can see as. Uh, being a reason for the cat to have joy. First is that he's really popular on Earth and he there's a fan club about him and he's getting the gratification yeah. that he needs, which also helps Lister a bit and gives Lister a bit more self-worth. Also, that suit is an entirely fictional suit in that he only starts wearing it after he's been hit by the joy squid and it That's disappears again afterwards. So that suit 
doesn't exist. <laughs> and <laughs> it's a really it's a really good suit and the cat looks really good in it, so that's what makes the cat. Even happy. if that's not the intention, that's that's the <laughs> I'm having that. Yeah. <laughs> um but yeah, I, I mean I, I understand, you know, all of those reasons. But I do think that the episode could have done with I don't know. The, the only thing uh, is just that a little, little bit more of yeah. a, a buffer between It's just a prime thing because Lister gets the full story of starting off depressed, learning more and ending up happy and with something to go for. If Back to Earth had been longer, then you could have had that from more than one character, but it's just as Lister is the central character, the whole mm. thing's crystallised through him. I, I guess as well, just with the, you know, the idea that maybe we could have had a bit more of them exploring Earth before the revelation is that you would have had to have had the audience know for much longer before the cast. Because we know as soon as they come through the screens because we've got the whole thing mm. with them talking about yeah. it in a bit in the shop. And let's face it, you don't want to lose that scene because that whole scene's one of yeah. the Mike Mallinson stuff is one of the best bits. And God, I love the graphics and stuff on the screen in the yeah. background. It's the dwarf and if you, would have, if you were going to have about 20 minutes of them being on Earth you know, not realising that they're fictional, then we would have had 20 minutes of the audience knowing it, but them not knowing it. I think that would have dragged on till... The re- their, our moment of revelation would have to be quite close to their moment of revelation. No, yeah, yeah. It's that scene is so good because for the audience, it's a huge culture shock that yeah. all of a sudden something's different and it's seeing the characters acclimatise of that and slowly figure out what's going on, not quite being fully aware. It's reminiscent of... In Back to Reality, the Andy scene going into the recuperation lounge scene and in sort of out of time going yeah. into the reality mm. bubbles for the first time. That, that's their harsh, um, their harsh tutoring about what yeah. the real, you know, you know, um, what this fake world is all about. And that's, yeah, that works by quickly getting them into this new situation and them understanding what the situation is. And yeah, and I don't think their sudden realisation in the DVD shop did that job nearly as well, mm. but um, but it's just little things like you know like that that I, w- I would say probably wrong back to earth, but everything everything that it you know that's there is still it's still really good, so it, it becomes one, less important. One thing we learned from this DVD, this is completely unrelated, but never mind, is that uh, Richard O'Callaghan was originally cast to be in the movie. As Hoagie the Hoagie Rogue, the Rogue yeah. which the the article then explained was a, a Rogue, rogue Droid. Yeah. Um, this this is this is big. <laughs> this is the sort of information we fucking murdered for like, yeah. a year ago, and it's just been slipped in. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, exactly. yeah. As as I said when when writing up the piece on on Andrew's article, just oh, can't we just have the script now? <laughs> it doesn't really matter anymore. Can we just Big, have a copy yeah. of that script? We're past, we're past the movie phase now. But it's just nice to get those little hints because I think amid all the excitement of Back to Earth, it's easy to forget that the, the, the film as a prospect yeah. exists slash existed. And, uh, and just that, as soon as that little mention was just like, whoa, that's something, that name and everything yeah. is just something completely new to yeah, us. Yeah. Um, I think at this point, because of the success of Back to Earth, is that obviously... The chance, the, the the opportunity to make a film is now much greater, but it's all about what Doug is, what direction Doug is going to choose to go in. And I think that whether he chooses to maybe do a, a feature, do a proper film, or chooses to do a TV series, he's going to have a very good chance at doing whichever one he chooses. And you would hope, so. and, and yeah, and like miles more opportunities than he's had in the last ten years. So there's there's got to be something else that you know that we get. Elsewhere on the DVD, there's a few 
little bonus bits that we either weren't expecting or didn't really think about that Craig Charles introduction uh, for the premiere we stood on uh, yeah. one of the sets in Curry was he in the shop if uh, I remember could have been I could have been it probably was in the office actually something like this and <laughs> then there's uh, PBS uh, slots which is weird because they, they haven't been used yet have they or I, do we know I don't know I'd assume not it's, it's not been PBS. screened in America they yeah. weren't mentioned before the DVD release I don't know if they were meant as a, a surprise but if they were it was a kind of a strange, ah, oh, yeah. surprise, you've got well, I mean, PBS announcements. Yeah. I mean, about Amer- ten people will be interested. <laughs> yeah. I mean, American broadcasts, have, have they only ever been on PBS? They've never been Yeah, on, they've on not been picked up by a network. Cable. Well, certainly not a network, but I don't think on a cable channel. Right? I'm assuming yeah. PBS has already picked up the rights. And well, maybe, but it's just, it if, if they have, it's film. a weird way to announce it. And if they haven't, it's almost a bit presumptuous. <laughs> well, no, it could actually just be them, you know, covering themselves. Yeah. Maybe yeah. No, no deal was made at the time, but... They thought, but it just shows how... On the ball, uh, GMPR. If mm. <clears throat> they've uh, even when they're filming it, they're exploring each possible uh, avenue of revenue, <laughs> avenue, of <laughs> avenue of revenue, well, and, the and avenue thinking we need we'll need to sell this to America at some point. Let's yeah. get these in the can and yeah. see if we need them or not. That's nice. Uh, the blipverts, which it was really nice seeing them on there because they just mm. represent. The excitement, the start yeah. of the yeah of all this. I, like I still remember <laughs> that the Saturday that me, Joe, and Ian moved in to this house, <laughs> and we'd had no internet all day. We sat down exhausted, put on Dave, and then about half an hour in, just seeing the ship. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't a blip, but this is one of the trailers. But still, it's just it's part of that whole build up. I remember the being. Music, uh, I remember going from. As you said, we were moving house, sitting in our old flat where the internet hadn't been disconnected just yet. Yeah. <laughs> Getting on and going on G&T and the first of the blipbirds arrived that, are you reading me? And downloading those and they're fucking hell. Sirs, I think I've got through. And we've got the, the Life on Mars videos, which are just so completely pointless when you think about it. Because I don't know who the they bear fuck no did relation that. to yeah. anything to do with the plot of <laughs> Where did they come from? Do you remember we speculated? Why? Well, because you did the, obviously the article about us predicting stuff. Yeah. And I was like, oh, are these are these going to be plot relevant? You know, maybe maybe it's a, you know, they're stopping off on the way. I like, no, because they go through a portal <laughs> and it's not real anyway. But did the BBC go to GMP? Uh, we're quite like an April Fools, actually. And, uh, yeah. yeah. How did GMP <laughs> get promotion on the BBC yeah, it's like, we don't, website? We don't want a series off you but we'll happily plug your series on with exclusive page. footage that wasn't anywhere else. what the fuck that was very I, that's one of those things that when I talk about you know any kind of future retrospective it would be nice to get a perspective yeah. on little things like that yeah. just, that's just still tell us on June, June yeah. Yeah. well this is the thing there's probably no reasons of secrecy it's just that nobody else but us would be interested in it so yeah. Yeah, no so one's asked so they Andrew I know you're listening post it in the comments love Thesadar yeah. <laughs> uh and then we've also got the channel continuity, which when you watch it all in one go, as we have done, it's <laughs> mad. Thank fuck that it doesn't mean that we've got Ian Lee on a Red Dwarf DVD. Yeah. Is all I can say. Uh, Whoever made the decision uh, to go with with Finchy, uh, <laughs> Ian Lee, Ian so called Lee, Ian Wee, I call him. Wee and Wee, Cunt Lee Wee. Uh, anyway, we've podcast on the podcast before. Because um, he slugged us off on a podcast. Uh, I think we made a bleak references to him. We haven't uh, rallied you? our army of fans <laughs> to go and invade his website and sign up. Yeah. Would you look at, look at that fat fuck? 
Stuart Lee's uh, Ian Lee's quite fat now anyway yeah. so Stuart Lee <laughs> yeah. so Stuart Lee is but he's got talent yeah I think Sky One are paying him in pies for his lost podcast <laughs> he's, he should be thankful that anyone's paying him at all <laughs> yeah I think he's hanging around Alstree at the moment so that he can appear on any of the Big Brother spin-off shows at a moment's <laughs> notice if someone drops out he's <laughs> It's like sat on a bench in a tracksuit. <laughs> Just ready. Tracksuit made of pies. <laughs> it's a point at which you wish that dead set was actually real. <laughs> it's the point in which I actually wish Ian Lee was dead. <laughs> so anyway, there's broadcast trailers on there as well, which is excellent. The aforementioned Red Dwarf. Don't just read out the menu there <laughs> if anything's relevant. It does make us a bit sound a bit like an SFX review. There's never been a photo gallery done quite properly on a Red Dwarf DVD. Has there been one on a DVD generally? Ever. Uh, that's a very good point, actually. I want, yeah, it's not just it's not just Ellard's fault. <laughs> Although it but is we'll partly. happily blame you for it anyway. <laughs> no, it's a, because previously the photos were, were framed. This is, more, this is more John's kind of pet peeve. Yeah, but, but then I he hates it. the whole thing anyway, <laughs> yeah. so he's never going to look at it. Uh, framed up, so you, 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 know, you weren't getting full frame... Um, uh, images and it's kind of slightly affected it a bit so it, but with the Back to Earth DVD we've got basically a video slideshow mm. which if you want to skip back and look at a video you have to rewind and it, it's, it's messy they it's should have done it in chapters it's, so it's, you could uh, well, yeah <laughs> lots and lots of chapters <laughs> tiny, yeah, tiny full chapters. screen chapters like each one about that's weird about like 10 seconds long so you've got time to pause it and look at it, and no motion. I don't like motion in front. Yeah, of I was going to say there's lots of panning and everything. And yeah. The quality of the images, because it's part of a, a video. I don't, I don't know if this is technically correct, but to me, it, the quality it's suffers. Not as, yeah, it's not because, as high resolution because yeah. it is not going to have been encoded at anything like photo resolution. Yeah. It's going to be. Yeah. You know, so you know what? What the fuck? <laughs> Jesus. It would be remiss for a GNT DVD review to <laughs> not talk about the leaflet. It's a shame there's no sticker, though. Yeah. No sticker. It, the entire thing is rendered pointless with a lack of sticker. No booklet. Well, it was never going to have a booklet, really, I suppose, when there's no place for it, because the digipack had to look like the... <laughs> Let's face it, we would have complained if it wasn't a fold-out digipack with a disc on either and side. I think they managed, to get, they managed to get pretty much everything into the commentaries and the making of... Yeah. You wouldn't really have that much in a booklet. Like on the in the Body Snatcher collection, brilliant mm. booklet, but most of it is images that, you know, yeah. look and better in a booklet. Page numbers over the top of and of course we have got already the time hole article. Yeah. Um, which is terrific. You can't really complain yeah. about it. Uh, the uh the leaflet I don't really like collect them all. At least it doesn't tell you to belly all the shows and just the shows. Yeah. And at least it doesn't have a check uh, list on it. <laughs> yeah. Like darker times. <laughs> Uh, the packaging, the, the cover design is obviously as it was in the show. I really like the. Um, sorry, I've just noticed that someone's put uh, disc one in the disc two slot on this. One. <laughs> <laughs> Dear idea. I'll put disc one in your slot. Okay. Yeah, I really like the movie style um, credits. Which, credits which I wonder was the decision of a certain person who just wanted to get his name on the front of a DVD. <laughs> I'm talking about unfair. Charles Armitage. <laughs> Um, so maybe a film student, perhaps. <laughs> I'm really not keen on the logo. I don't really see what your problem with it is. It's 
it's too brash. But we know that Danny would have done a better job. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the main problem is is that early on in the, the build-up, um, Dave posted a little blog saying, oh, it's all starting, and here's the new logo, and which is basically the old logo that was used on the website, you know, the standard logo with a bit of a bit of a, a shine to it, an artificial shine running through the letters. And that looked excellent. But this one just looks like the old logo with like a hastily applied filter to emboss the, <laughs> the ellipse. And but what's the reflection? It's, it's reflecting something in the, the ellipses. It looks like a building or some railings or something. I just, I mean, I'm, I appreciate that the cover is... It's, it's good because the cover is based on what it was in the show. Just, you know, but you see that on a shelf. It's not hugely exciting. There should be an image there. You know? There should be a better logo. Or there. there should be a background of the sleeping quarters. Um, yeah. Or, you know. I think so. Um, and it's, it's just... I can completely understand it because it's like, while making the show, they wouldn't have thought too much about what yeah. the DVD cover was going to look like. So I, would, I can imagine this getting bashed out. And then as soon as this appears in the show, it's like... Oh God, we've got to have that as the DVD yeah. release, otherwise, whinging bastards like the GT lot are going to play. No, but you know, you, you think someone will have. I don't think it will have necessarily been the plan from the start. I can imagine during production them going, as "Hey, that will be a really nice idea." As soon as you it? get the idea, you've sort of yeah. got to do it. Yeah. I wouldn't mind so much if it was a if it was a different but better cover. Actually, looking yeah. at the the leaflet, it looked. Yeah, my favourite cover is probably the All of the Shows one. Yeah. I mean, just look at that logo; it's mm. beautiful on the black background actually the discs will be there we're really going to have to get this set <laughs> yeah coming soon the all the shows DVD <laughs> review podcast it'll last for three minutes <laughs> there's this programme it's called Red Dwarf it's quite good for six series See. <laughs> and, and uh, again <laughs> ten years later <laughs> yeah, that's not all the shows so Back to Earth's really shows. muddied the waters hasn't it with a cut off point of quality <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and also series numbering and, uh, oh God. and spines of the DVD collection and the fact that the title oh. of all the shows is already inaccurate yeah. <laughs> well no because no, it's, know, got all, it's got all the episodes of Red Dwarf but it doesn't have any of the episodes of Red Dwarf Back to Earth which is a different show fair point yeah. and in, in my mind I think any new series and the old series are going to be very separate and therefore I won't mind my DVD shelf <laughs> have, well, having yeah, number seven like, uh, Doctor Who for, between series uh, between 1963 and 1996 has a different style of packaging yeah. and everything yeah but I quite, I quite like the things that people do on Doctor Who forums where they oh, do yeah. old style <laughs> yeah. DVD cases for the new shows right, they, look, they usually look better than the actual releases <laughs> and yeah we haven't talked about the menus yet which we haven't and they deserve to be talked about. The looping yeah, nature I mean, of them is brilliant. Yeah, it's the first time we've had that, isn't it? The sort yeah. of, and it actually, you know, it's a, is it a full loop? I'm just actually watching it now. Yeah, it's, it stops, but it loops. For the benefit of those at home, we're important. looking at the bunker room menu currently. But the main menu on both discs is so well suited. It's the really wide shot of G-Deck. The dimension cutter starts Beautiful up. new, um, yeah, and then all this, all the sub menus, is we sort of travel to them from the main menu. I think this this menu, the, the you know the main menu on both discs reminds me a lot. I think I said this in a news update a while ago, but it reminds me of the lost DVD menus because they basically take a, a well recognised scene mm. from one of the episodes and have a new angle and basically you know with just nothing really happening, just just looping with ambient yeah. sounds. Is, is, is this a different angle to in the show then? 
uh, I think it's it's got different. I think it was definitely specially done. Yeah. There's different bits shot. of it. Yeah, no, it is nice. And I think they're the animated, the tiny. Or maybe not. No, they're actors. Oh, that's another thing uh, from the um, yeah. effects documentary when they made little ragdoll physics versions oh. of all the cast <laughs> by taking loads of photos of them slowly rotating. Yeah. That was a fantastic bit of work. The Mike's team put really are the stars of the production side, I would say. The production on that show was amazing. <laughs> but just, you know, just with the, you know, the involvement of the red cameras and all of the, the CG that was so quickly done, just utterly fantastic. Um, and then yeah, sort of from well from the main menu on disc two, you get the bunk room, which is mm. I did not expect another CG bunk room yeah, menu, no. and that was Completely a really pleasant bunk. surprise yeah. when, I, when I first. Maybe it's a clue that. that we're going to get one hundred percent virtual sets in series nine. <laughs> 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 so no, it had, it had virtual sets in series nine. Do you remember? Oh, best yeah. series ever. Awesome. awesome series, best series ever. I told you this before, haven't I? <laughs> 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 it's it, it, it's not mine. Yeah. It, it's it not has a, got a voice and and my face, dickhead. I hate you, Mark Benton, fake man. <laughs> the anti Benton. The anti Benton. And that I just you know I just think this this DVD like all the others is is just far more than you could you should really realistically have expected. Any of us would have realistically expected just the sheer amount of extras compared to. The, um, the size of the feature you know? yeah basically 70 minutes worth of stuff sure presented in two different ways but there's miles more than you know than, it's, it's like movie quality you know like a really well treated movie on DVDs it's, it's got that you know that sort of treatment and that's why when people people are saying around the internet and in various reviews that there's actually a small amount of extras or a lot of them aren't all that interesting but that, that almost feels bollocks. like a compliment to the, all the previous dwarf DVDs because we have raised expectations. I mean, you know, yeah, there are some yeah. crap DVD sets out there, but you know, I mean, we'll never get a dwarf DVD again that's like Body Snatcher. No, um, <laughs> and you can't compare Back to Earth to Body Snatcher. Yeah, but it's a completely different thing, especially considering the tight turnaround time. Yeah, obviously they were working on a lot of stuff as they went, like during production, uh, but <laughs> we're releasing it within two months. We assumed at first, oh shit, they're going to put out another release and then charge us for a proper one later down the line, but they got a full Red Dwarf DVD out in that amount of time. It's pretty good going. Yeah. And if you want our address to send our checks to, then uh, <laughs> drop us an email and we'll, we'll sort something out. It should already have them, you have us under surveillance. <laughs> I mean, I think really, um, for us and the position that we're in as, as Dwarf fans, Dwarf DVDs are pretty much review-proof. We know what we're going to think of them so long as they're not completely shit. Mm. And, you know, this is another great DVD release of a feature that we at least happen to really like, and I think we're all very pleased with it. Very pleased. But, you know, you kind of you already knew what we thought of it, and yeah. you knew what we'd think of the DVD. So, so. <laughs> this entire project has been a complete waste of time for everyone involved. Okay, bye. <laughs> you have been listening to Dwarf Casts, brought to you by Ganymede and Titan at www.ganymede.tv.